0: I've done that my whole career, I've tried to be honest, I've tried to answer the best I can, and sometimes that affects certain people. And in this case, it probably did affect him, and, uh, and I'm sorry I did that, and I've learned from it, so I've decided that I need to zip it. I'm not going to talk about the team, I'm going to let Patrick and, uh, and Rick talk, it, talk about the team and, and just stay away from those things.
1: You know, one of the things that I always like to ask general managers, usually off the record, although it makes for an interesting conversation sometimes on the record, is would you lie to protect your hockey team? Would you lie to protect your players? Would you lie to protect your coaching staff? Would you lie to protect your owner? And invariably, the answer is always yes. Like Whether we like it or not, lying is a big part of the hockey industry. Lying is a part of lots of industries. Lying is a huge part of my industry. It's probably a big part of your industry as well. It's all baked into the pie. Lies just go with life. It's an uncomfortable truth, but there it is for everyone. And In that clip that you heard from Jim Rutherford, what he was lamenting was the fact that he was too honest. When he was asked about bruce boudreau when he was asked about his team uh his thoughts on what happened last season his thoughts on how the team plays now uh, his thoughts on if he's had conversations with other coaches uh, looking to replace bruce boudreau normally that's where the unwritten rule of you lie to protect your team comes in again be settled with it lies are part of all of our industries and the fact that jim rutherford and to his credit we should never slam someone for telling the truth having the nerve to be honest when they they're asked the question the only issue that i have with that answer from rutherford yesterday is jim rutherford's not new you know jim rutherford didn't join this industry five minutes ago You know, Jim Rutherford's a name that's been on, you know, everybody's mind and everyone's been well aware of going back to, you know, when he played junior hockey or even growing up in beaten Ontario and then, you know, turned pro. Like, Rutherford's been part of hockey going back to the early 70s. Jim Rutherford is nothing new in the industry. And Rutherford also knows that when you do tell the truth, there are consequences and there are casualties along the way. So, on the one hand... I don't think we should slam Rutherford for being honest, yet at the same time, I think it's folly to think that Jim or anyone in his his position didn't know exactly the consequences of telling the truth in those various interviews and or press conferences see last week with Rutherford. Look, nobody likes the way this thing went down. Nobody does. And I still think we all have legitimate questions about why this lasted so long. Rutherford's answer yesterday was Bruce Boudreaux was under contract. And this wasn't, you know, the situation with the speculation around Rick Tockett and the impending coaching change. That wasn't anything that was their doing. So if it wasn't his and Boudreaux's still under contract, he's going to stay coach, even though we all knew and pretty much nailed the timing on it as well. That Bruce Boudreaux was not long behind the bench of the Vancouver Canucks. Everybody knew. And at that point, at that point, folks, I think you all say, all right, at that point, you need to pivot. And at that point, you need to change. Is this what we intended to do? No. But there is a new reality. You know, Maynard Keynes, uh, the legendary economist, when he flip-flopped on an issue, this is going back to like the 20s or 30s, way to pull out a current reference, Merrick. You know, when he flip-flopped on some economic issue, you know, his response was, when the facts change, I change my opinion and I change my mind. What, pray tell, do you do? And in this situation with Bruce Boudreaux, the facts changed. It went from a secret to common knowledge, And then it went to torture and it went to dragging Bruce Boudreaux along after humiliation, after humiliation, not just with press conferences and interviews and speculation, but also, you know, not just in the local market, but nationally. And then last week on TNT where the panel was, you know, giving it to Rick Tockett. Hey, what are you doing? Where are you going? What's happening with, with Vancouver? And. Tockett said, sure, I talked to Jim motherford and Patrick Galvin. You know, that goes back to the Pittsburgh days. But I haven't signed a contract yet. Wink, wink. I really didn't like that. It was a tough spot to put talk it in. Like, if Rick it just went back last week just to say one farewell to his his colleagues, I get that. And I can respect that. But, you know, the question about Vancouver was coming because it was out there and Vancouver hadn't reacted to it. And that just made the Bruce Boudreaux situation that much worse. Like, they created a folk hero by dragging him through all of this. Bruce, there it is. Like, I don't think Takut's going to get Rick, there it is, in his first game behind the bench for the Vancouver Canucks. There was an outpouring of emotion and an outpouring of love and an outpouring of sympathy for Bruce Boudreau, the likes of which I don't think we've ever seen for a losing coach. When have you ever seen a fan base... Get behind a losing coach, uh, a team that's, you know, mired in imperfect performance after awful performance, yet the coach comes out of it looking like a cult hero. They have the statue of Roger Nilsson. I don't think they're building a statue of Bruce Boudreaux outside the rink, but man, he's loved. And he was only there for a year. Because Boudreaux was able to to touch the hearts of everyone and everyone felt bad for him and didn't think that he should be strung along like this. Like, you have to be the most hardened hockey cynic to say, well, too bad, that's life in the big city. Deal with it, put on your big boy pants. There's no one that liked this. You know, someone mentioned to me yesterday, we are having a conversation about, you know, why this happened and why he was strung along like this. Someone said this to me. Said... What if the Vancouver Canucks were a stock? How much do you think it would have lost in the last six weeks? How devalued would that have become? Because that's what happened to the Vancouver Canucks brand through all of this. Everybody got hurt, right? Everybody every everybody got cut here. Everyone got snipped, whether it's Jim Rutherford and his reputation. Uh, whether it's Francesco Aquilini and the Vancouver Canucks team that he owns, you know, everybody on that side really got burned. There's only one person that came out looking good and we all had sympathy for. And he comes out with his reputation intact and he comes out with more respect than he had when he first took the job. And that's Bruce Boudreaux. How he handled this situation, how those players felt about him. Is a testament to the person that Bruce Boudreau is, and I'll go you one more. Given how he rose above all of it and refused to fire back, and even though he was maligned by Rutherford, whether it's in radio interviews or whether it's in press conferences, I mean, he was maligned and insulted, and some of those press conferences with Rutherford, uh, with um, with Boudreau after games or after morning skates, like the tension. Like the, the te- it was so tight. You could feel the tension. And the wonderful thing that Boudreaux was always able to do, pew, release valve and all the pressure's gone with a turn of phrase, with a smile. He knew where he was going. I described it Saturday on hockey night as the slow walk to the electric chair. He knew where he was headed and still through all of it, he was candid He was respectful. He didn't fire back, even though he was under attack from those above him. And he had the wherewithal to make jokes about it, too. Clever, self-depreciating. He was able to take all the tension out of the room. I don't know what's next for Bruce Boudreaux. But if you have someone on the market with that type of skill set, who can relate to players, who can handle pressure-filled situations where he's being attacked from all sides by those above him there's value there i don't know what's next for boudreaux i don't know if he's he's done 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 in the nhl all i know is if i was running a hockey team and there was someone like boudreaux available even if it's not for coaching how do you not want that guy as part of your organization We're going to talk a lot about the Vancouver Canucks and what we've seen in the last few weeks here. Ian McIntyre standing by in a couple of moments. Elliot Friedman goes to hour two. We're also going to talk about the Calgary Flames with Eric Francis and the tale of a different coach and how he relates to players, namely Daryl Sutter in Calgary. Welcome to the Merrick Show. Let's get going.
0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: All right, welcome back to the program here. Um, let's bring aboard Ian McIntyre, who's been covering this story from day one. I don't want to call it a story. I want to call it a saga. Ian, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. I know it's a busy day for you.
2: Oh, you're welcome. It's been, <laughs> it's been a busy season, but especially this weekend. I'm honored to be batting leadoff for you, something I didn't get to do very much when I played <laughs> baseball. I had good speed, but I struck out too much, not enough contact.
1: So I'll, well, I'll try you to strike uh, you're, out you're for my you. Uh, you're, you're my Ricky Henderson, you're my Tim Baines, a couple of my favorite players uh, of, of all time. So happy to be leading with you. And um, I guess in a situation like this, I mean, you go reverse pyramid, you go big and then you sort of narrow down. As much as you can describe it, what did we just see? Like, well, what did we just go through? You know, going back to the, the initial hiring of both Bruce Boudreaux and then Jim Rutherford, etc. And everything that is all the leaves that have fallen off the branch ever since. Well What, what just happened here, Ian?
2: well we just saw all the extremes of of human emotion you know from anger to to sorrow all and and even joy all rolled into all rolled into one man in in Bruce Boudreaux. and i've i've covered this team and and the league a long time i've never seen anything like this players have never seen anything like this the the emotion in that locker room on Saturday night was, was unprecedented. And I mean that literally for a mid season game of -hmm. a team that's that far out of the playoffs, short of, short of a real tragedy. And, you know, I mean, somebody losing their life or, 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 you know, heaven forbid a family member, but in terms of just, kind of the, the harsh reality that in professional sports, coaches lose their job. I've never seen anything like this with, with players in tears. And I'll tell you, the one thing, and everybody, I think, agrees that that nobody, and including Bruce Boudreaux, for all his goodness and, and class and experience as well in this league, nobody should have to go through what he went through, particularly in the last week on that homestand, uh, I'm glad he mm-hmm. got Saturday night. I'm glad he got a chance to say goodbye because most times you may see it coming, but it still, the end will run over you before you're ready. And, and because the end, as you put it, it was, was, was such a slow walk to the electric chair, he had a chance uh, to savor some moments. And I'm just really grateful and glad for him that he got that chance on Saturday night to hear those cheers, to feel the love of his players, to fix in his mind, you know, standing there at the bench when, when the game ended, to fix in his mind what you know this memory was and what it meant to him and carry it with him the rest of his days.
1: Yeah. You know, someone from another team, you know, mentioned to me on Saturday, we were talking about this being Boudreaux's last game, and he said, well, so what happens at the end of the game? Is there going to be, like, a trap door behind the bench and Boudreaux just, you know, just vanishes? Like, because, because to be honest, Ian, like, I think what he was getting at was, like, that's kind of how heartless this whole thing seemed. Like, as was mentioning off the top, like, whether it's, you know, Rutherford or Aquilini, like... Everyone comes out from that side of the of the of the drama, just looking so heartless through yeah. all, through all of it. And I know this was I know this wasn't the plan. Like I don't think that Rutherford planned for this to be the way that that things went with Bruce Boudreaux. You know, this is you know so I always think back to what you know Bill Waters, who I worked with for a number of years, used to always tell me, and that is, you know, Jeff, you don't judge an organization by how they bring you in. You judge an organization by how they let you go and this does not serve the Vancouver Canucks at all in any way shape or form and the one thing that i wonder about and you're right there you can you, you can you can tell a lot better than i can how much damage has been done here between you know the fan base the season ticket holders and the organization like how much damage are we looking at repairing here
2: well the season ticket holder question is hard to answer because the the building is still the building is still full but they've they've self-inflicted uh, uh, an immense amount of damage to their brand. Uh, <clears throat> I described it in my story as the lowest point this century. And you know, sometimes it's hard to go back in time and, and compare, you know, moments. You know, the 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 Burke, the Burke, um, Pat Quinn, Mike Keenan, uh, Tom Rennie nexus. At the end of end of the nineties was was an awfully dark time, and there was there was the building was half empty. There was ten eleven thousand people yeah. at games. So it, I think it has been lower than what it is right now, but not not since then. The, uh, this is this is the lowest point, and I think uh, I think you're right that that Jim Rutherford, for all his experience in the business. And and let's remember that as well for context. That this isn't a a rookie GM or a guy who's never had to fire oh, yeah. somebody. But I think his his uh, f- fault in this is that they didn't adapt their plan. He didn't he didn't set out to plan it to go this way, yeah. but they didn't adapt their plan when when news got out. And and you and Elliot did a lot of the reporting. Uh, on this uh, at the very least at a minimum when rutherford had his press conference uh, one week ago today after the team came home from the road from from uh, a surprising win in carolina and and said uh publicly that yeah he's he's talked to candidates he's reached out you know that should have been it like at the at the very least at that moment you know, they should have relieved Bruce of his duties, not put him through that last home stand, had an interim coach, but they it seems like they just were not going to make the call until they not only had their next coach signed but had him signed and ready to come in and ready to go they They just were not going to do an interim coach and and weren't going didn't stray from that mindset when when they should have and and rutherford kind of admitted that yesterday you know there were were a lot of interesting takeaways from the press conference yesterday rutherford offering an unequivocal apology for some of the things he said that you referenced you know in in press conferences and interviews and uh that that he made it difficult for boudreau and he says he he's Going to apologize to Bruce for that he he also said he 's not going to be talking to us anymore that R- Jim Rutherford won't be doing interviews it won 't be on after hours anymore um, <laughs> so you know that's that's one thing and and but he did not apologize for how how the timing was handled and and said that you know <clears throat> to him the way that they did this which is you decide on making a coaching change you start to interview candidates you you do that until you find the person you want to replace the coach you have and then you, and then you act he he said it wasn't much different than than what he thinks is a normal procedure in these cases but we know that this this was not normal that so mm. much of it was out in the the public spotlight, and so much of it was humiliating for Bruce Boudreau.
1: You want to hear a joke, Ian? I would love to. Yes, please. Okay. So, th- 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 and I- where were you in October, November, press- and December? By the way, <laughs> I could used the <laughs> joke then too. <laughs> okay, so this is this is one of my favorite jokes, and I thought about this because I'm glad you brought up last week in the press conference and saying like it should have been it after he started talking about interviewing candidates, and I talked to the the preamble of the program here about how. You know, lies in every industry are baked into the pie. In my industry, your industry, in all of our industries, the broadcast industry, it is baked into the pie. In hockey, it is baked into the pie. Anybody listening or watching right now, lying is baked into the pie when it comes to how businesses are run. Like, it's a tough thing to swallow, but, you know, show me the company that runs and has always run. Honestly, I don't think that thing exists. But I was thinking about this joke. So a guy goes in for a job interview, Ian. And the interviewer says, what do you think your worst quality is? And the guy says, ah, that's an easy one. uh, I'm incapable of lying. I cannot tell a lie. I feel sick to my stomach even just thinking about lying. I'm compelled to honesty. I don't know where this comes from. It's been with me my entire life. I've never been able to, to, to tell a lie. Anyone asks me a question. I always give them the truth in every situation. I always default to honesty. I really have to say that's that's my biggest fault. And the interviewer says, Well, you know what? I don't think that's a I don't think that's a fault at all. Like as a matter of fact, this is the type of person we want at this company. I think that's a tremendous thing. And the guy says, Yeah, I really don't give an F what you think. <laughs> There's a time and a place for the truth. If you if you know what I'm saying, like for, for for Jim to say my problem was I was too honest. Like The thing that I take away from that is, okay, on on the one hand, Jim's saying, okay, the problem is I'm too honest, so he shoots himself a compliment on the way out. Okay, park that. But does it not make you wonder? Because to your point, like, Jim Rutherford's not new. We've known Jim Rutherford, you know, initially the goaltender, um, going going back to the early 70s. Like, the thing that I wonder about is, and it's a difficult conversation to have, is Jim really starting to lose something on the fastball? Because I don't know that a Jim Rutherford, whether it's previous in Pittsburgh or previous in Carolina, would make that same mistake. Would admit interviewing candidates for a job when he still has a coach that's on staff and is actively coaching games.
2: Yeah, well, it, it's it's a good question. I can't answer. By the way, a very good joke. I like it. I'm going to tell it, and I'm not going <laughs> to give you. I'm not going to give you credit. If I had a snare a drum from my good, grade, by, seven by the band, way.
1: <laughs> By the way, great- greatness borrows, but genius steals. So take that one and, and call it your okay. own. Man. Yeah. Uh,
2: if I had a snare drum from my grade seven band, I'd I'd have given you a little roll there. <laughs> uh, I can't answer what the cognitive uh, condition is of Jim Rutherford, which is basically what you're asking me: has he lost some? I don't know. I mean, he's you know seventy three, I think, but he's he's also <clears throat> I think still quite Calculating, I think, I think, and and he hasn't said this or or admitted this, but I think initially, some of the comments he made, like early in the season, I think it was the home opener, was it? Yeah, it was the home opener where the Canucks were awful. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> another thing I'd never thought I'd see is jerseys thrown on the ice in in the home opener. I think it that was the yeah. night he was on after hours. Uh, I think early in the season, some of what he said was calculated it was meant to be disruptive you know the team was the team was playing poorly the results were awful um and he wanted to stir the pot he wanted to make players a little bit uncomfortable this is just my opinion Mm -hmm. and he wanted to to sort of throw a public shot across the bow of a bow of his coach to to you know get these guys going that nobody should be comfortable being all five and two at the start, but you know it got to points where it was it became almost repetitive and you know I mentioned a few minutes ago that the very least you know last Monday they could they could have made a change they could have named Mike yo who's been a head coach in this league, the interim coach yep. he would have it would have lasted all of one week and then they'd have they'd have talk it here, although they would you know, Rutherford, might Counter, well, a week ago they didn't know that they would have talk here on the Monday, but I think they knew that they were going to have Rick by that point. So that was a minimum. But you could have gone back to November when the team was still scuffling and it was on the road trip that took Knucks through your center of the universe where they lost to Toronto, they lost in Montreal, yeah. uh, and lost in Boston. And then it was Hall of Fame... Monday, The loss in Boston was followed by Hall of Fame. Monday, the Sidine went in. Obviously, no one was going to get fired that day. And then the next day, to a lot of people's surprise, including my own, they won in Buffalo. But it was right before that trip that, that uh, Jim Rutherford went on, on radio again and reiterated you know his concerns about structure and then up the ante with a couple of other criticisms. And Boudreaux said on Saturday he thought he was getting fired then. And that would have been yep. a completely sensible time to do it and i i don 't think this regime likes interim i don 't think i don 't think Jim has done interim before uh, when he 's changed coaches, mm-hmm. so for you know whatever reason they didn 't do it. they went through a different process and they tried to explain that yesterday and in, in Certain meetings and certain expectations were set and not met, and then they decided to go in a different direction. So it was it was at the end of the day this this feels like institutional failure, you know, on the on the part of the Canucks how they handled this. And I don't know if that's because it's it's a new regime, a new GM. I don't know if it's uh, you know a president trying to give the GM leeway or or maybe it's the other way maybe the gm feels like he doesn't right now have the authority to make um a a timely decision if if it needs to be done and again i'm just speculating but whatever whatever was going on behind closed doors it just feels like an institutional failure in how this was handled
1: Okay, to the uh, the Tockett side of things here. So a couple of takeaways oh, yeah, him. from me. Uh, <laughs> we're going we're yeah, remember remember him? I know. I don't think we're gonna hear Rick there it is uh, anytime soon uh, around the rink. But nonetheless, Rick Tockett is the new head coach. Um, the takeaway from yesterday for me was there'll be new personnel on the penalty kill. Uh, they see or it does sees J T Miller as a huge project. Uh, reclamation project, needs to get him back and needs to get him on side. I thought he gave him a really soft landing the way he described uh, some at times uninspired play by talking about conserving energy. And I thought that was a really nice soft touch here and uh, he sees obviously Pedersen as a, as a big project as well. Uh, what were your takeaways from what you heard from Rick Talkett yesterday?
2: Well, I, I think he recognizes and, and it's why he's probably been brought in over some other he recognizes that you can't, you can't be 31st in goals against and have a chance to win in the NHL you can't be 32nd in penalty killing yeah. and have a chance to win if your power play is not number one and the Canucks have a good power play but it hasn't been good for a long time the last six or seven weeks I think it's around 16% which nowadays is is awful in the NHL so he recognizes the special teams yep. and recognizes the, the the team defense. Beyond that, honestly, there's so much to, to pour through and try to dissect and understand about, about the guy he's replacing that he was almost an afterthought in that press conference. And he's having his first practice today. I think there's going to be a lot more today. I know I'll be writing about him today. Uh, there'll be a lot more focus now that that Bruce is that Bruce is gone. But it was really it was another another strange aspect that a coach being hired, and really not many people cared about the coach being hired. It was all about the guy who was who was fired. There's there's a big job here in front of him, and Patrick Alvine. Oh, yeah. Patrick Alvine, by the way, that's the most um, intense and. When I say animated, it sounds like he's waving his arms, and he wasn't. But he, he hasn't said much of anything when he has spoken uh, to the media. <clears throat> and yesterday, he was more impassioned about it. So maybe this is, maybe we're seeing a transition there as well. And this is going to be Patrick Alveen's team now and not so much Jim, Jim Rutherford's. But you know, uh, Alveen said that this isn't going to be a quick fix. And I think there's just a ton of work. Uh, I think this is a really difficult position for for anybody to come into, because not only do you have um, a team, not only you're replacing a guy who, who's been made a martyr, which in a way, in itself is is a remarkable accomplishment, because as yeah. good as as Bruce was as a person, you know, the team's awful and, and has grossly underperformed. But it'd be hard for anybody to come in and after what we saw, the love-in from from fans and, and <laughs> yeah. players, and, and say, okay, now I'm the guy in charge. Now I'm the captain. I'm the captain now. Like, who who's yeah. going to yeah. succeed initially <laughs> uh, on that? But then on top of that, this whole season is just, been from one drama to another you know bo horvat and brock besser and the situation with bruce and and jim and there's been you know other issues around this team as well even before the last couple of weeks i know from talking to players that that a lot of guys are just worn out and and it's hard to chase and of course Mm. they've been chasing since october because they started 05 and two, yeah. and and that's and that's draining in itself. I just think that they're at an emotional and mental low point. The whole organization. Forget about what the optics and perception is and w- how they stand with the public. Just internally, I think they're exhausted. And I'd be surprised if there wasn't at least a little bump this week. You know, Bruce, <laughs> in typical Bruce fashion, he said on Saturday. You know, he can't understand why he's still here. Maybe it's because the schedule now sets up for the new guy with with Chicago-Seattle-Columbus uh, Chicago, uh, Chicago Seattle, Columbus this week. I, I think there'll be, uh, you know, a bounce. I'd be surprised if there wasn't some bounce. But this, the guys uh, on this team, I think, are so worn down mentally and emotionally, I think it's going to be hard to have... Any success, I think this is. I think what happens between now and the end of the season for Rick Tockett is is all groundwork and foundational work for whatever he wants the team to be next year.
1: Yeah. Um, real quick, before I let you go, can you give me a hot thirty on where you think the Bo Horvat situation is at? Elliot was talking about teams getting whittled down. You know, here's the ask; it's pretty substantial. You know, I believe it's 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 three players, including a top prospect. Um, do you get a sense of where this team is at with a, an impending Bo Horvat deal?
2: Well, I think I think there was some urgency in the last week that maybe this could all be could all be wrapped up before before All Star break. Maybe even timed with with Bruce's exit. And and obviously that didn't happen. And I think the reason that there were, there was that urgency is the sense of. Of change and and trying to move past um, a lot of a lot of the debilitating drama that has has dragged on this team, that didn't happen. The, there's a lot of interest. My understanding there's a lot of interest in Bo Horvat as as you would expect there to well, be, yeah. and th- this is this is a trade that Alvin and Rutherford have to get right. There, there's deals that you can rush. You know, Brock Besser has been on the trade block for a couple of months now, and if if they had a deal that they didn't think was great, but it it allows them to move on, you know, that's a deal that that you would just make uh, to try and move on. They can't make a deal just to move on from from Bo. So, mm-hmm. you know, the pressure point is still you know fairly far away, March third, uh, but. You know they're they're looking for a lot. I, I think they're gonna they have to get a lot. You know that's it's, it's going to be there's so many <laughs> defining moments. It's going to be hard to top the boot the exit uh, when people think about this season. But Bo Horvat is, is going to be the biggest in-season trade for this organization since Brian Burke dealt Pavel burry and that was yeah. that was last century. So it's a huge huge deal that they're going to get right. And I think they're going to take whatever time they need. I think there's still a pressure point, you know, potentially uh, this week. But uh, they're going to take whatever time they need up until March 3rd.
1: And I think probably the biggest deal that Jim Rutherford has done going back to the Phil Kessel deal in 2015. So... You're right. There's some, uh, there's, a, there, there's some high stakes here. Um, all right. Uh, listen, that was a lot of time you spent with me. Really appreciate it, Ian. Very thorough, as always. Uh, everyone knows where we can find newsportsnet.ca, covering the story from stem to stern. Uh, look forward to talk. It's first practice. It uh, should be intriguing. Thanks for sharing your expertise with me today, Ian. Really appreciate it, pal.
2: Well, it's always nice to be on with you, Jeff. And, and uh, good job on you for the reporting that you've done on this story.
1: Thanks, man. And I gave you a joke. So spread it around Vancouver. Enjoy that. Enjoy <laughs> I that will. joke. I, I really don't give an F what you think. I don't give an F what you think. Yeah, it's a great punchline. Okay. Didn't Jim Carrey uh, do Ian a thanks movie on that? For stopping by. Uh, pretty much, Jim yes. Carrey, liar, liar? <laughs> as a matter of fact, he did. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, we got to hustle. Thanks to Ian McIntyre from sportsnet.ca for stopping by. And that is the Vancouver story. From there going to head east a little bit to Calgary and the situation while well, Johnny Gaudreau makes his return to Calgary. That is one story. The other story is Daryl Sutter and rookie Jacob Pelche and uh, grabbing the game sheet after to remind everybody that maybe Daryl Sutter, much like that previous joke I just told, really doesn't give enough. F. More than Merrick show in moments. Elliot Friedman coming up top of Hour 2. We'll continue across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now.
0: Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: All right, welcome back to the program. You know, we've talked a lot about things like human decency and being nice to one another and not dragging people through the mud or maligning them unfairly. And you might think that I'm talking about the Vancouver Canucks and Bruce Boudreaux, but hold up. I'm actually talking about Daryl Sutter uh, and Jacob Peltier. Uh That story in moments as we bring aboard Eric Francis, uh, senior columnist and analyst for Sportsnet. Eric, how are you today, pal? I'm great, my friend. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. We've been sort of doing ethics lessons the last little while here in in hockey. And uh, just when we thought we were all settled with the Boudreaux situation, the Calgary Flames double up the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's a big game Saturday night, six to three. Getting you know that many goals past someone like Andre Vasilevsky is certainly always a story. Jake Capelche with his first game, and Daryl Sutter has to ask post game what his number is, and then reads off the stats from the game sheet and says he's still a rookie, lots of road here in the NHL. I don't know. I read your piece uh, this morning, and I think you nailed it, about you know being decent to people and letting the kid have a moment and letting the kid shine. Um, big picture here. How did you feel about the whole thing? I-, I asked that knowing how you did because I read the piece, but nonetheless, if you could share it with the listeners, that would be great.
0: Yeah, no, and I appreciate that. Like I, I was disgusted by it, and you know what? I just just talking to people here at the dome right now. You know, they play tonight against Johnny Gaudreau, and there's a huge gathering of media yeah. here, and it's just overwhelming. You know, I heard from the hockey world after I wrote that piece, and I think people are just kind of sick of um, uh, the way that this this coach, you know, acts at times, and it's a uh, no, the big question is why. I mean, we, it's a softball question. The kid just made his NHL debut you know just just say something nice or don't put on a performance you know that was a, almost rehearsed you know he grabbed his glasses and he grabbed the game sheet and then he he decided to kind of make a, a mockery of the kid's nhl debut think about the kid's parents you know the kid had just told us about it His parents were crying when they got the news it was hockey day in canada it's all about a celebration of the game and and this coach goes and yeah. basically craps all over it it's the big question everyone's asking is why. You know, what, what is it? Is it an ego thing? And and I'll tell you why. It's because he's made it very clear over the last two or three weeks. You know, the Flames have two guys who are ripping up the AHL, Jacob Pelche and Matthew Phillips, and the city is excited to see these guys. So excited to see them and. And they're both undersized, though. There's no doubt about it. It's going to be a tough road for these guys to have an impact at the NHL level. And Daryl has made that very clear, that, you know, basically he just doesn't believe that, that, that you know, they can cut through that. And certainly now, it's still at a young age. So the whole city's clamoring for, uh, you know, Pelche to finally get in after two weeks as a healthy scratch. He finally gets in. And I think it basically boils down to nobody tells Daryl Sutter what to do. I think he just hates the fact that the media is asking about him every day and the fans are all about it, too. Yeah. So I, I think that's what it basically boils down to. He was sick of us asking about it, and so he gave us that little performance art, and it didn't go over very well. And uh, it, I think it really hurt the coach's stock in this city.
1: Uh, I'm with you on all those points. I want to add one more thing in there, because um, especially, you know, the, the parents is, is the big one, certainly. You know, that's like, this is this kid's moment. I remember when he was drafted, first rounder, et cetera. Like, it's not just the kid and the parents you know who i think of here as well eric and this is this is sort of calgary flames a bigger picture everybody in that calgary flames room remembers their first nhl game mm-hmm. and remembers the reaction afterwards and the coach said this and was really complimentary and it's my big moment and i got the rookie lap and maybe i did something but i still remember maybe i didn't but i still remember the first time an nhl Puck was on my stick, and I made a play, and I stayed on side or I made a pass, or I beat out an ice. Like, you remember, all, like, everybody in that room, every single player remembers their first game. And now, for the rest of Jacob Pelche's career and life, there's going to be that attached to it right at the very end here's your chance like you mentioned like it's a lob you got to get those lobs impressed because it you know it gives the it gives the coach a chance to talk really well about one of the young kids like the minute that you know Daryl Sutter is asked to do the bare minimum like Eric the bare minimum to complete the first game in the NHL story instead he chooses to make it about himself and I don't know kind of go out of his way to humiliate the kid a little bit by, Hey, let's just pipe down here. You know, the, uh, the protruding nail gets hammered down. They used to say in the old Japanese dojos, let's just temper expectations. He's only played a handful of minutes. I thought about the parents and I thought about the guys in the room because I can't think that that resonates well with any of the American. you're a lot no. closer to it than I am. Great point.
0: Uh, I'd be lying if I, if I didn't tell you like, uh, couple of players kind of gave me a wink and a nod yesterday like thank you you know what thank you uh for pushing back on something that was just and it's not like this was the first time started kind of done this sort of thing and i I just kind of feel like it was time to kind of call him out on it and uh you know the other thing is this is a really respectful great young man those who saw him at the world juniors a couple years ago they lost the in the final and he went yeah. to every single player on the ice and console them. Like, this kid's a leader and a, and a decent human being. And he also has a little bit of a, you know, he's not all that comfortable talking to the media. That's been pretty clear. I mean, English is his second language, and yeah. he's from Quebec. And 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 these, the broadcast, what Daryl Sutter says, no game is complete in this city until Daryl Sutter is spoken. It's kind of the, you know, his, I give him credit, his press conferences are wildly entertaining, unlike any other coach in the league. You never know what you're going to get. Those broadcasts are on in the players' area. They watch and hear everything that Daryl says, and he likes that because it's his way of sending messages to the players. So this kid had just seen that, yeah. is my guess, and then has to come out in front of the media, and he's already a little nervous to talk to the media. And I just, I felt for the kid as well. And Hey, I don't, I don't think it diminished his day at all. I mean, I think he's still on cloud nine, but it just leaves us our days. And the other thing is that's lost in all this and why I think it's poor leadership is, that was the best Flames effort of the entire season. They just beat a team that's gone to the final three years in a row. Great game. They beat them. It, it might have yes. been their best game of the year, and nobody's talking about the game. Everyone's talking about the coaches' antics, and that's, that's not what it should be about. So it's, uh, it, it, it's a huge talking point in this city, and uh, it, it was heartening to me that the hockey world uh, reached out to me. Um, I couldn't believe it. From coast to coast, people sending notes saying, hey, good for you for calling the coach on this one cuz it's that's not uh, it's not right what he yeah. did
1: i think it needs to stop like this is listen players can take it for so long i mean listen how many different calgary flames teams have you covered along the uh, uh along the uh, along the way here eric and you know that coaches and we've always heard that you know coaches have shelf lives etc um i can't see brad living liking that I can't see ownership liking that uh and I can't see the players and once you lose once you lose the players you know then as a coach you start you start that that slow march I can't help but thinking to myself if I'm Brad for a living if I'm ownership this this has got to stop like, this really has to stop now or else or else like listen we see what the Edmonton Oilers are doing here we see what's happening in the division as well if this doesn't stop this season can slip away pretty quickly
0: yeah yeah they're at a a precipitous point in the season. That's for sure. And uh, I I agree with everything you said. I I can tell you that this did not go very well with anyone. Like I, I, it's funny. I don't often read comments on Twitter or after columns or anything like that. It's just noise to me. But for this one, I just wondering if there's anybody who was thinking that I was way off base or that it was okay what the coach did. And having read all the comments, I'm telling you if it's, if it's not 98, 99% in favor of what i said uh you know i might be off by a percentage or two but like this is just universally not cool and the word that i don't know i don't want to, the word bully comes to mind that's that's all i'll say and i don't nobody likes a bully and i'm mm-hmm. i'm glad that i was able to push back a little bit because that's what you have to do to a bully
1: it's a great point, and, uh, and and good for you for doing that. Um, so you mentioned the other the other big story outside of uh, Pelche sutter um, the return of Johnny Goudreau. What's the reception going to be like?
0: You know, we, we have a bit of a template here, Jeff, like, uh, you know, with Kachuk coming here already and then Sean Monahan, and I know they're all radically yeah. different, but, yeah. you know, Kachuk is probably the most relevant one, and because that happened about a month ago, you know, Kachuk, the big joke around here is always, well, you better run that video tribute pretty early uh, because they're going to start booing as soon as it's over. So the first TV timeout tonight, they're going to give Johnny a tribute, a well-deserved one. There's going to be a standing ovation, no question about it. Totally deserved. And from that point on, all bets are off. And and, and, and that's what happened to Kachuk. He was booed every time he touched the puck, and I have no doubt that that's going to be the case tonight. Uh, so, uh, you know, it was because of the way he left at uh, the 11th hour, and the team thought they had a deal and then him going to take less money to go elsewhere, but it's not home. Like he said, he might want to be, um, it, it, there was a lot of emotion and it did not sit well, uh, with people in this city, the way Johnny could left. But Hey, the way I always say it is tell me a good way to break up with your girlfriend, right. Or a wife or anybody. There's no easy way to break up. There are always yeah. going to be hard feelings. The guy was a great player. Was for sure. In the conversation of one of the greatest players of all time in this franchise, had he stayed here, and taking you know the generous contract that was offered to him, he would have probably retired as arguably the greatest. He'd be right there with Lanny and Jerome in that conversation. But uh, that's not the case. He left uh, a lot earlier than people hoped for, and because of it, he's going to <laughs> pay a bit of a price, public relations wise tonight. There'll be there'll be a lot of booing, but that's okay. It'll be fun and and good on Johnny. He said like I know people are going to boo me, and 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 that's okay. I would probably boo someone too if they left my city that I love so much. So uh, we, love, we love these storylines. We love emotion in the crowd. We love emotion on the ice. And we've had plenty of it here in Calgary recently. That game against the Lightning was the most intensity I've seen all year oh, yeah. in a Flames game. Lots of fights. You saw it. I mean, it was on our broadcast. And, oh, yeah. And, and, and tonight, I'm not going to It's the last place Columbus Blue Jackets. Other than Johnny, there's really not much of a storyline here. But Johnny gives it a real nice sizzle for sure.
1: You know that that game. I haven't even mentioned a comment about it, but that was an outstanding game. That was flat out fun to watch. It had new school skill and old school toughness. I mean, listen, uh, bless Ian Cole for just hanging in there. Like when you're fight when you're fighting Shrek, I mean, all you can do is hold on and just hope that the damage uh, isn't too bad. That was uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, Real, real quick here. I got about about a minute, a minute and change for for this one, and and maybe it's not enough time. But how do you see the goalie situation right now? Because I'll be honest with you, I'm really wondering how much damage that Oilers series did to Markstrom. You know, we talked, Elliot and I talked to him in Paris at the Players Tour, and you know, we talked about it and the psychological hurdle and all that. I didn't know that that series was going to carry over this deep into this season. How do you see the goalie situation? Uh,
0: Dan Bladar is going to start tonight. Uh, that's an interesting move. I mean, I guess they're playing the last place team, so maybe that's why. But, and he played well on Saturday, so he earned it. But <laughs> this coach is not yep. necessarily rewarded Vladar with all the great goaltending that he's given this team. He's undefeated in regulation his last 11 starts, uh, and yet this coach still continues to trot uh, Markstrom out. Listen, it's funny that you asked me that right now. I'm standing here watching the you know the, the late guys skate here after morning skate, and Markstrom just broke a stick and threw it. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of frustration. Uh, He knows he's not... Last year, he was second in the trophy voting. Um, This year, he's kind of lost. And uh, the better goalie has been Vladar. There's no question about it. And uh, the fan base here definitely wants... You know, the fan base always wants the backup quarterback, the the backup goalie to get more of a shake. And and, and I think the pressure's been on Sutter to to play Vladar more. But as we discussed earlier, the more pressure you put on Daryl Sutter to do one thing, he's going to do the other every time. Bingo. So... so Yeah. this is where we stand, and everybody in this market. And in my stance is, reward the guy who plays the best. I mean, they're just go with the hot hand uh, and, and disregard the contract and the, and the status. So we'll see what happens. At this point in time, Bladars, you know, we'll going to get the start tonight, and we'll see.
1: We'll watch the game uh, with really attentive eyeballs. Uh, Eric, thanks so much for sharing your expertise. And again, great piece. If anyone hasn't read it so far, I encourage you, sportsnet.ca, for his piece on Daryl Sutter. Eric, thanks so much for this, pal. You be well. Enjoy the game tonight. The return of John Thanks, Jeff.
0: Cheers, my man. Always good catching up. Talk to you soon.
1: There he is. The great Eric Francis from Sportsnet. Quick pause. Second hour is coming up. Elliot Friedman in moments from Hockey Night and 32 Thoughts. Yeah, we're talking Vancouver
0: covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: All right, welcome back to the program. Here, um, Maddie Marchese. By the way, Maddie Marchese, who by all indications is continuing the process of stealing my job. Well done, as I understand it. Thursday and Friday filling in for me once again. I'm gonna have to get someone else to do this, Maddie. If you keep doing so good.
3: Wait, did you? It depends on who you talk to. Like, if you talked to my dad, he would have said I did a good job because he's supposed to. I didn't hear anything else from anybody the, else. Th-
1: there is actually one scout. Uh, on an Atlantic-based team uh, who sent me a text when I was in Owen Sound saying uh, something to the effect of, Buddy, you might be here in footsteps here, or at least you should be <laughs> here in footsteps.
3: That's good. So there you I just go. send the so check thanks, in the mail. Maddie.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's no I in team, but there's two I's in invoice. So I want to get to the random player of the day. But before we get there, I want to play some random audio so, awful announcing, just put this one out. Oh man, I, I just tweeted it. if you want to have a have a listen after you hear this. now, the one caveat to this is I don't like make I don't like making fun of people who mispronounce things, and there's a very specific reason for that, and that is when I was a kid, I remember my mom and she would always reinforce this rule to me. she would always say, "You should never make fun of someone who mispronounces something because that means. They learn that word from a book and it's important that people are encouraged to read more. So I don't like making fun of people who mispronounce things. And that goes back to my mom. But <laughs> this clip we're going to play. Now, I understand that hockey's not the number one sport in the United States. I get it. Um, it's you know, not even number two or number three, etc. But Awful announcing. Just put this one out and I retweeted it. This is from Fox 5 in D.C. Announcing the firing of Bruce Boudreaux. Sort of. Have a listen.
3: Former Washington Capitals coach Bruce Baudreau has been fired by the Vancouver Can- Canucks. The team announced the change Sunday, less than a week after president of hockey operations Jim Rutherford said major surgery was needed to fix the Canucks. Rick Tukit was hired as Baudreau's
1: replacement. Um, the Canucks, Boudreau, and Tukit. Maddie, those are the primaries involved here. Ooh. Now, having said that, I have called the Canucks the Canucks before. Me and Billy Waters used to always call them. Oh, they play in the Vancouver Canucks, so that is one that I have said before, but in jest, loving jest. Canucks.
3: That okay. So Took let it. me let me start let me let me start out with this, Jeff. Okay, because I, I agree. Like What's we that? should we should not we should not. Make fun of people for mispronouncing names. However, this is not even a making fun of thing. This is, it is your job, or if you don't do it, it is your producer's job to get the proper pronunciation of people's names. If it is someone you are not familiar with, then you should do your due diligence to get it right. And I only say that as somebody whose last name has been mispronounced more times than I can imagine. And so, and I know my daughter's going to go through the exact same thing growing up, and I feel sorry for her, but it is in this business, like, in everyday life, okay, that's fine. But in this business, your job is to get it right. Um, You got to do the work, and that takes literally two seconds to look up these people to figure out how their names are pronounced. So, uh, it's hilarious, and also no
1: excuses. Yeah, well, they may have just handed the newsreader like a cold sheet, like, hey, we gotta get this in, or hey, we got, you know, thirty seconds to kill. Let us fill it with this story. We've already, you know, got the uh got the B roll done. It's all all set to go. Um, so I don't know the situation around it. I, I just love um Beaudreau and Tukit. I don't know, things like that just make me giggle. Uh anyhow, if you wanna hear that lovely bit of audio again uh just tweeted that sucker out okay you know what the rand i got more comments in Owen sound about random player of the day than maybe i did for the entire the entire show that we do so maybe we've uh maybe there's some gold in them there hills maddie marchese did i pronounce that right by the way marchese did i you got it offend you there i know that's okay um so random player of the day what do we have today maddie
3: uh this would be a former chicago blackhawk among other teams um Elmer Moose Vasco, and this was sent in by Tony Mercado.
1: First of all, Elmer is always a great name. I lament the fact that no one is named Elmer anymore. I have never met an Elmer, much like outside of one of my favorite goaltenders of all time, I have not met another Rogie, as in Vashon. considering how cool a name Rogie is. I wish there were more Rogies In the world. Anyhow, uh, Elmer Moose Fasco, rugged defenseman, big, strong, tough. As you mentioned, played in Chicago, also played in Minnesota. It was was Ren Blair that convinced him to come out of retirement and play for Minnesota. I believe Ren Blair also did the same thing with Gump Worsley, got him out of retirement to play for the Minnesota Wild. Ren Blair, by the way, was the first, quote-unquote, hockey person I ever met in my life for whatever reason, when I first started playing hockey as a kid, Ren Blair was at Lampton arena where I used to play house league where I first started. I remember he autographed my like Warren park yearbook. I've still got it somewhere. Here, Ren Blair, the first person that I ever met. Anyway, it was Ren Blair that got uh, Moose Vasco into uh, to Minnesota. So one of the interesting things about Elmer Moose Vasco is he played at a very tough time in the NHL. He played from 56 to 60. And there's no helmets, there's no visors, <laughs> there's nothing like that. Um, but remarkable, and I think it was his wife that talked about this after he wrapped up, and he was a really physical defenseman too. Elmer Moose Vasco never lost a tooth. Went through his entire NHL career and did not lose a tooth. You know how hard that is, Maddie? I don't care Extremely. what era you played in. You go through playing that many seasons in the NHL, you lose teeth. Moose never lost one. So he won the Cup in 1961 with the Chicago Blackhawks. What is remarkable about that team? I'm glad you asked. That was a team that was captained by Ed Litzenberger. Okay? Ed Litzenberger, who, after they won the Stanley Cup, was traded. That is very rare. You know who the other captain of a Stanley Cup team who was traded almost immediately after they won the Stanley Cup was? No. Wayne Gretzky, <laughs> Ed Litzenberger, oh. and Wayne Gretzky—two captains traded immediately after their teams won the Memorial Cup. Now he won a uh, won the Stanley Cup. He won the Memorial Cup with St. Catharines in 1954. His coach was Rudy Pellis, who was also his coach when he won the Stanley Cup with Chicago in 1961. So his same junior coach was also his same NHL coach. Um, a couple of things here. So he always sort of fluctuated weight-wise between as low as 205 to 240 and he was partnered with Pierre Pallot. And I want to pause on this for a second because there's something really interesting with that pairing. Now, Pierre Pallot was one of the greatest defensemen the NHL has ever seen. He's a three-time Norris Trophy winner. And I always, you know, whenever Chicago was on one of their Stanley Cup runs, I used to always make the point um, for casual you know, hockey fans or casual Chicago fans, you know, before there was Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook, awesome pair, right? One of the best defense pairs of the past generation of hockey, there was Moose Fasco and Pierre Palat. Like, they were considered the dominant pair in the NHL. And you know what's fascinating about that pair? I don't know. Maybe I'm just so trivial. I I find this endlessly amusing or neat. You know what's interesting about that pair of Pierre Palat and Elmer, Moose, Fasco, Matty? I'm curious to know. They were born on the same day. December the 11th. Oh. What are the odds that like the premier shut the, the premier pair of defensemen in the NHL? Now they're both different years. Palau was 31 and Vasco was 35, but they're both December 11th um, birthdates and would always call themselves so, uh, call each other on uh, on December the 11th. Um, after he retired, Moose Vasco did a lot with uh, a group called the Hearing Impaired Hockey Association, uh, teaching deaf and hearing impaired children to play hockey. Good on you, Moose. That's what I have for our random player of the day. Moose Vasco, uh, same birthday as his defense partner, Pierre Palat, and never lost a tooth while he played in the NHL. And that goes from 56 to 1970. That, to me, is remarkable. Do you have anything for Moose Vasco?
3: Uh, I, I ha- I'm still waiting to hear back from someone about this. But I was given a line on a story about Moose Vasco from a teammate of his nephew's back uh, when he played in the OHL. Rick Vasco is his nephew, played 30 games with the Detroit Red Wings. And um, I was told that, and I'm I'm still trying to confirm this, but it sounded like it was very true because the story was just told a few weeks ago, um, that Moose Vasco actually owned a piece of the Stanley Cup until his passing which was a a few years ago, and that was passed on to a family member. An actual piece of uh, the Stanley Cup, I guess, could have been one of the rings, or maybe it could have been a part from one of the rings, like where the team was. Yeah, so apparently this exists, and a family member has it and has talked about bringing it to the Hockey Hall of Fame. So I'm trying to confirm this story, but if it's true, I would love to know what piece it is and, and what's on it? Because we're talking about the, the Stanley Cup. And, and how would someone like Moose yeah. Vasco have gotten a piece of the Stanley Cup and held on to it? So, apparently, this is the story. I'm trying to confirm it's true. Um, hopefully, by the end of the week, when we do our recap of other stories that have come in about the players that we talk about, uh, that I can confirm and get the actual story of what the piece is, where it is, and and what's on it.
1: Okay, so I just, I'm just sending Phil Pritchard a note right now. He's going to go gonna looking gonna for know, it now. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, I, I saw Phil, Phil was with us in Owen Sound last week because Landy McDonald brought the cup out um, uh, when we were doing the uh, the live podcast. So I, I had a chance to catch up with Phil. I, we generally talk a, a, a few times during the year, so it's always good to catch up with uh, with Phil, who has the best gig in hockey, by the way. And uh, listen, you associate certainly Phil with the Stanley Cup and the great hair and the white gloves. He's got the great look, all of it. And he is a walking, talking hockey historian. And he was fascinated by you know some of the uh, some of the stories that uh, that Les Binkley was telling specifically, even things that he hadn't heard before. When we uh, had him on the podcast last week in, in Owen Sound, so I just sent Phil a note. So if we don't get it in the uh, what four minutes that are left in this program, uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll try to get that story out for you tomorrow. But I did not know that that Moose Fasco actually owned a piece, maybe one of the rings of the Stanley. Like we've heard, like Phil Bork told us the story when we interviewed him in um, in Boston for the Winter Classic about, you know, unscrewing the Stanley Cup and scratching his name uh, uh, inside of the Stanley Cup. And there were three other Quebecois hockey players that had done the same. Uh, that's all been corrected now, by the, <laughs> by the way. Um, but uh, if anyone's going to know if Moose Vasco won a piece of the cup or had a piece of the cup, it's going to be Phil Pritchard. So we'll stand by for that one. Um, that's good. Who sent that one in? Who sent Moose Fasco one? Uh, that was Tony Mercado. Tony Mercado. Thank you, sir. That's a good one. There's some, uh, some fertile ground there. If you want to uh, nominate your favorite player or player of curiosity for the random player of the day, JM Show at sportsnet.ca. Uh, anything to conclude? Anything you want to wax poetic on from the weekend, perhaps, Maddie?
3: Well, I, I actually, I do, because you kind of mentioned uh, some old school hockey when you talked about the Flames and Lightning. What in the heck was in the water for the Tampa Bay Lightning in their trip through Alberta? Because they were ornery. Like, I have never seen the Lightning <clears throat> like that. That was something special in their game against Edmonton. That got nasty. And then the game against Calgary yeah. was also nasty. And they managed to lose both games.
1: So, here's the one thing that I don't think we pay enough attention to when it comes to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Because we focus so much on the skill and, "Oh, look at Kucherov and Hedman's having another Norris-type season, surprise, surprise." And look at Stamkos and the 500 goals and Anthony Sorelli and, you know, in the conversation for the Selkie Trophy. That's a nasty team to play against. Like, dare I say the Tampa Bay Lightning are a pretty dirty team. Like they're, they're nasty bits of business. They're a, they're they're a tough team to play against. I don't think like, honestly, Matt, I don't think we give them enough credit and I do say it credit. I don't think we give Tampa enough credit for being a dirty hockey team and being a tough hockey team and being a hockey team that you're not going to push around. I think they take a lot of pride in that. I think they got a lot of players that can really annoy you. They always have, they've always found value in that. It's helped them, you know, reach the highest of heights, around the NHL. To me, I wasn't surprised. I was thankful. I mean, listen, when you saw Lucic and Ian Cole throw down, what were you thinking for Ian Cole? Like, the whole time? Like, man, uh, just hang on. Just seatbelt Lucic. Don't get tagged because that's a big man, and he can probably hurt you. But he answered the bell.
3: Yeah, he did. He answered the bell. I was thinking thoughts and prayers. That's what I was thinking.
1: Thoughts and prayers. Listen, that's a that's a skilled team and that's a tough team as well. Uh, okay, so again, random player of the day, gm Show at Sportsnet.ca. Nominate yours, Tony. Thanks so much for sending in Elmer Moose Vasco. Thanks to Elliot Friedman as always for stopping by the show today. Uh, Eric Francis, t- talking to us about the return of Johnny Gaudreau to Calgary tonight. Also the. Daryl Sutter, Jacob Pelche, situation, and Ian McIntyre just doing some real heavy lifting on the Vancouver Canucks story and sharing his you know thoughts and, and research with us, uh, who kicked it off, Ian, of course, from sportsnet.ca. Been all over the Vancouver Canucks story. And Chapter 2 starts tomorrow, Talk It Mania uh, in Vancouver. Thanks for listening. Thanks to everyone involved in the pod, in the program, General Nick Lance Kennedy, and the producer slash fill-in host Matt Marchese Eric Show returns tomorrow. Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, and Sportsnet Now. Back tomorrow.